0: For today's year, I'd like to study a very well-known Mishnah towards the end of the first Perak of Perkei Avos, and that is the Mishnah in Perak Aleph, Mishnah Yudbet, Hillel v'Shamay Kiblu Mihem. Hillel and Shamai were the last of the Zugos, the famed pairs that make up the structure of the first Perak of Avos, the Zugos. Hillel and Shamai, they were the next generation of leaders after Shmayav Avtalion. Hillel was the Nasi, Shammai was the Avezdin, so they are the next line in the chain. And the Mishnah very famously teaches us now in the name of Hillel, that Hillel Omer, have a mitalmidav Aaron. We should be like the students of Aharon. Ohev Shalom, Verodev Shalom. We should love peace and pursue peace. Ohev Asebrios, we should love people who on the Torah and bring them close to Torah. So that is the Mishnah that I'd like to study with you, and it's a very well-known Mishnah, and I think it's very rich, and we'll have a lot of uh, insightful uh, information to hopefully uh, enlighten us. So first of all, uh, in terms of the opening statement of the Mishnah about how uh, how uh, we should follow the model of Aaron, who was Ohev oh, Shalom, Barodev Shalom, so many of the Mepharshim here on our Mishnah quote the a famous medrash, which uh, the sources in the Avos Rebbe Nasson, that's who the Bartanura and the Rambam quoted from, about how Aaron was an incredible, Arna Cohen. the Aaron was incredible at not only uh, valuing, loving peace, but genuinely facilitating it, literally running after it, and uh, the so just to paraphrase it, I won't read it inside for the sake of time, but the Avost Rabbi this is in Paracute Bed of the Avost Rabbi talks about how when Aaron would find out that two people had gotten to a fight, he would go over to one of them and say, you know, the other guy feels so, so terrible. He's just too embarrassed to come over to you. And that person would be inspired to make the first move. Then Aaron would go to the other guy and say, you know, the, second, the first guy, He's really he feels so bad. He really would love to come over to you, but he's just too embarrassed. So each one of them uh, would be uh, motivated to take the first step based on Aaron's creative, uh, shall we say, uh, description uh, of uh, the environment, umitokach, says the Avos Rabbi Nassan, each one would come to the meeting, so to speak, based on what Aaron had told them, thinking that the other one truly, genuinely wanted peace. And in fact, this is part of a, uh, a larger idea, which will way beyond the scope of our brief here today, but Chazal do tell us in other places that that in order uh, to make peace, one is allowed uh, to stretch the truth a little bit when one has uh, sincere uh, and practical motivations for facilitating peace, and this <coughs> teaching of the Obas Rabbi and Aaron Hakohen as the role model is the basis for that. Uh, Rashi and his Talmidim, the Machzor Vitri, actually quote an even more extreme story about a certain man who was having a very big fight with his wife, and he made uh, a there on the wife, that she would have no benefit from him, unless he would spit in the eye uh, of the Kohen Gadol, and assuming that there's no way she would be able to do this. And Aaron heard about this, and he pretended that he had something in his eye, and he went over to the woman, he said, I just need a little uh, lubrication to get this out of my eye. Could you just spit in my eye to get it out of my eye? So an incredibly dramatic and extreme example of Aaron going uh, to the unbelievable lengths in order to help uh, allow a marriage to, uh, get, so to speak, get back together. The Mafarshim to quote that the, the model or the inspiration for all of this is actually a pasuk in the Navi Malachi in Perikbet, which says we'll be shlomam ubi Mishor Halach it that uh in order to uh, bring uh, Shalom and Mishor uh you pursued verabim avon, and not only the first part of the Mishnah, but the second part, how he brought back many people from sin. And the very next pasuk talks about uh, the kohen siftei uh, That we know that it's clear from the context that those psukim in Malachi and Perak Ben are talking about the kohen. So you see from those psukim a description of the kohen as someone who is not only facilitating peace and harmony shalom, but also me avon. And these two models are apparently what Aaron Hakohen exemplified, and it's what Hillel is telling us, "Have me shel aron, we should be like Aaron, uh, we should become virtual kohanim and be like students of Aaron. On that note, it is interesting that some of the mefarshim, before we get into the two specific teachings of the Mishnah, just in that introductory phrase, uh, there are mefarshim that note the fact that the Mishnah as an introduction says, we should be mitalmidav shel aron. In what sense does that make me a Talmud? I never met Aaron, I never sat in on his shir, I never had a conversation with him, I didn't read a book that he wrote. What does that mean to be a student of somebody? So what you see from this, it may seem very obvious or intuitive, but I don't know if it really is, and at least a number of mafarshim feel that this is a good opportunity to underscore the point, that you see that to be a Talmud, to be a student... It's possible even if you never met the person, even if you never spoke to the person. But if you're inspired by a person and you're motivated to truly emulate someone's behavior, if you can truly do that, that makes you a Talmud, a student, even though you never met the person. So even though we're living thousands of years later, if we are inspired by the life and the teachings of our own and we actually internalize this into our own lives, we can look ourselves in the mirror and say, yes, we are Talmudim of none less than, Arhon Hakohein. And obviously that works uh, with people even closer to our day, but people who we may never have had the privilege uh, to study from in any formal sense. But if we can study their writings, learn from their lives, and really internalize it, we see from this Mishnah we have a right to call ourselves Mitalmidav of X or Y, just like we are calling ourselves if we can pursue if we can personify this from the Talmidim of Arhon Hakohein. Another uh, group of Mepharshim wonder why the Mishnah goes out of its way to tell us that we should do these things by being mi talmidav shel aron. Why not, if these are really values, for example, oev shalom v'rodev shalom, why doesn't the Mishnah just say, hillel Omer, heavy rodev shalom Oev shalom. Why does the Mishnah have to first you know, introduce the sevoy, the command with be like our own, be like a Talmud of our own, and love peace and pursue peace. Why not just cut out the middleman and go directly to the punchline? The Mishnah should just say, "Hello, Omer. Have you Shalom or Shalom?" Why interject? Be like a student of our own in the middle. And uh, incredible uh, commentary, the Medrash Shmuel, I believe I quoted this in last week's Perk year, the Medrash Shmuel is, is a very important uh, commentary, uh, was a contemporary, more or less of Yosef Karo, wrote like a, like a collection um, from a few hundred years ago on Perkyavos. So the Medrash Shmuel says something so powerful. He says, if we would just say love peace and pursue peace, it wouldn't help us much. Why not? Because everyone, if you ask them, everyone truly thinks that they love peace that they only do things that facilitate peace, that they pursue peace, that they are the source of all peace and harmony in their respective community. Says the Schmuel, you could ask the most argumentative, divisive person in the community, and they could look you straight in the eye, they could pass a lie detector test. Of course I love peace, because everyone can rationalize all the things that they're doing based on some, you know, maybe it's warped, but based on their version or their sense of what truly what they think pursuing peace means and therefore says the Mechur Shmuel the only way to truly uh, have people do what is necessary and truly be lovers and pursuers of peace is to give us a objective high standard of Aaron Cohen. You may think you are Ohev Shalom, you may think you are Shalom, Sholem, but you have to judge yourself against the standard created by our own. If you can live up to that standard, so then maybe you truly are an OEv oh, Shalom, Brodev Shalom. But just because you think you are, doesn't mean you really are, and really everyone would probably say that they are, because everyone's rationalized. If you ask, you know, you have an entire group of people, a whole neighborhood, you know, raise your hand if you don't like peace. Right? Everyone says they're part of the peace movement. Everyone says they're pro-peace. But it's a meaningless thing because everyone can rationalize whatever their position is based on that. Therefore, it says the Medrashmul, it starts off with having me talmid of shalaron. But yet, no, this is what it means to be peace. If you're really following like Aaron, then taka, then you have a right to call yourself pro-peace. You're Oeb shalom. But if not, then you're falling short. In, in that vein, the famous Svarti posseg of Chaim Yosef David Azulay, the Chida. In one of his 100 plus books, he's one of the most prolific authors of all time, the Chidon, one of his books says, you see, the reason that the the Mishnah says be like a Talmud of our own is that it's not enough to just do the action, but rather one has to truly personify it. It has to become part of your essence. It should be part of your personality, like it was part of our own's personality. It's not just being Oyev Shalom, Rodev Shalom. It's becoming an Ish or an Isha of Shalom, being a true person who's part of your essence is peace. And that is something that we are that adds based on the introductory phrase of have been shalarun. And finally, finally, one last piece of introduction before we get to the two specific teachings is that a number of ask once now you've explained to me why it's not enough to just say pursue peace or love peace, but we have to introduce our own as a middleman, okay, so then why do we seem to bump it down by saying heavy be like a student of our own why not just say be like our own right? we know when, when I was a kid you know, and I think it's probably today still considered one of the most famous advertising slogans uh, of all time right? that when Nike was selling the, the, the sneakers of Michael Jordan they made the famous phrase be like Mike right? Nike didn't come out and say be like the protégés of Mike be like the people who look up to Mike it said be like Mike now, of course, you couldn't really be like Michael Jordan, and really that is what you were trying to say. But it was certainly much more effective to go say, be like Mike. So a number of Mepharshim say, why doesn't our Mishnah say, be like Aaron? Why does, it, why does it say, be like the students of Aaron? Heaven be Talmid of Shel and a It should have just said, be like Aaron a So here also the Medrash Shmuel and the al Alshech, two more or less contemporaries, basically point out, that there's a certain level of realism and humility that's built in. This isn't Madison Avenue. This isn't a marketing slogan. And therefore, we are acknowledging that there is no way to be truly momish, if you will, like our own. To be truly on our own level, he was a once in, a, in many, many, many generations. He maybe was a once in history. But nevertheless, even though it may be unrealistic to say, I can be like our own, but I can be a Mitamirav of our own. I can be... X number of steps below, but in the same kivun, in the same direction as our own. That's something that is always a balance, whether it's for parents or for teachers, we always want, you know, or for ourselves for that matter, we want to shoot for the stars, uh, so that hopefully even if we fall short, we land on the moon, as the saying goes. So here also, on the one hand, there is a focus on trying to have high standards to be like our own. On the other hand, if it just said be like our own, since it's pretty much impossible to be on his level, so then, once we fell short, we might give up, but we might try, not try at all. So therefore, says the Medrash Shmuel, says the "Have of Shalar. We know you can't be Aaron, but you can be. You can be. It's not easy, but you can be a Talmud of Aaron. You can be a little bit lower, but you could be on a level that is still approximate and inspired by own. Okay, with all of that, I think it was important, but introductory remarks, we're now ready to focus on, respectively, the two teachings that the uh, Mishnah tells us. The first one being, Ohev Shalom the Rodev Shalom. And the Mepharshim point out that this is inspired by the POSUK, of course, in Tehillim, in Parekh Lamedalid, Bake Shalom V'Rodev Fehu. Right? Bake Shalom V'Rodev Fehu is uh, loosely parallel to Ohev Shalom the Rodev Shalom. But even whether it's the POSUK or the language of our Mishnah, it begs the question, and Rabbeinu Yonah is among the first to ask it, which is why the need for the double Lashon. Rabbeinu Yonah and his commentary to our Mishnah says, why not just pick one of them? You know, be a lover of peace. You know, isn't that, if I love peace, isn't it Mamela that I'll pursue it? Why do I need to have to say both phrases? Bohev shalom, virodev shalom. And Rabbeinu Yonah gives an incredibly important and insightful statement into not only your peace uh, and shalom, but I think in general, human nature. Says Rabbeinu Yonah, there are a lot of people who sincerely, truly love a certain value, truly identify with, and are inspired by, and want to emulate a certain value. They are truly lovers of peace. Yesh They genuinely, truly, it's not a fake out, they truly love peace. However, says Rabbi Yonah, But lo she yitrachuhu asman lasum shalom ba'olam. Ve'enam holchin badarche shalom. Ach ha'osin Says Rabbi Yonah, it's one thing to love peace, but a lot of people who love peace don't necessarily pursue it. And that could be for any one of a number of reasons. If I want to elaborate on a beniona, he's not 100% clear why this would be so. But psychologically, it could be for any one of a number of reasons. Sometimes people are just lazy. We have to acknowledge that reality. Sometimes people are just lazy. Uh, But sometimes people, you know, it's easy to uh, rationalize. We're busy. We're preoccupied. We know that there's a need in the community. And we genuinely, truly wish that there would be a better situation. We wish there would be peace. But we say to ourselves, no, someone else will take care of it. Someone else will do it. Right? It's, it's, it, again, it would be, it's not only true for Shalom, which is our topic, it's true for many things. You're familiar with the need in the community about a chola, someone who's sick, who needs bikerholim, or other uh, chesed things, or raising money for the shul, or for the school, or all, any, literally, no limit. It would be every single thing you're thinking of, you know, people, there are people who genuinely value it, who genuinely would pursue it, who genuinely hope that the right thing happens, but for whatever reason, don't do anything about it. Says What our mission is coming to teach us is, it's nice to have your heart in the right place, but it's wholly insufficient. It's not enough to just be an Oev Shalom, a person has to be a Rodev Shalom. It's not enough just to think, think it, or as we might say in the vernacular, talk the talk, you've got to walk the walk. If you really, truly love it and you really care about it, you have to act on it and do things in a very active and a proactive way in order to facilitate and to pursue the peace a slightly different answer another answer is given by the maharal in his commentary to the mishnah as well as the barbanel and others and they say that there's actually a practical difference and ohev shalom and Rodev shalom are thinking about two different things that ohev shalom is referring to a person who has the right midos and therefore preventively preemptively is not the kind of person who's going to create fights right we all know unfortunately painfully for some of us, it's in our family. For other of us, it's in our neighborhood or our community or our broader social circle or our work environment. There are certain people who are simply argumentative, difficult, inevitably, and almost always getting into fights with people. So Oyev Shalom commands us, charged us, not to be that person, to be the opposite, to genuinely be the kind of person who's not starting fights, looking for fights. You're not the disruptive. You're not the troublesome party. That makes you an Oyev Shalom. However... Lots of times, whether you're looking for it or not, Machlokas finds you, right? It takes two people to make peace, but it only takes one person to make war. People start up with lots of things or create problems either directly with you or in the community, which indirectly affects you. And Rodev Shalom says, even if you weren't the cause, you're the right kind of person. If we cut you open, your DNA is to be an Rodev Shalom. But nevertheless, it found you. It landed on your doorstep. There's a problem. It's not enough to just say, even if you can honestly look in the mirror and say, but I didn't cause this. I didn't start the fire. It's not my fault. Rodev Shalom says it doesn't matter. Even if you didn't cause it, if it wasn't your fault, if it's not because of you and your personality, nevertheless, be a Rodev Shalom. Do whatever it takes now that the fire is there to extinguish it. Okay, so those are uh, two different interpretations for why it's not sufficient just to be Ohev Shalom, but also to be a Rodev Shalom. Let's turn our attention now to the second teaching of the Mishnah, where the Mishnah continues and says, "Oh hey U ovam the it Torah." It's interesting just to note that I think that while it's true that most people think that this end of the Mishnah, the U Veos,vam the Torah," is a continuation of the first part of the Mishnah and also connected to Aaron Cohain, it just should be aware that not everyone. Uh, actually believe that. There are some Mepharshim who see this as kind of a standalone statement, but uh, that's I think personally, I think that's harder to maintain, and certainly I think most Mepharshim disagree with that. Most Mepharshim say that this second half of the Mishnah, Oivet Sabrios, love people, Makarvan, the Torah, is also connected and an outgrowth to our Kohen. In fact, that very same Avos Rebbe Nelson, which we started with, which mentioned the story of Aaron and Cohen running to two people who were in a fight, or running to a husband and wife who were in a fight. So the Mefarshim, like the Bartanura and the Rambam, Rabbeinu Yon, others, they all quote the continuation, also in the Avast that explains how was it that Aaron was loving people with Oiveth Ebreos, Makarvah in the Torah. So the Medrash there says very famously that when Aaron would hear that someone sinned, Whatever the sin was, it doesn't specify. But when Aaron would hear that someone sinned, Aaron would go out of his way to then befriend the person, never bringing up the issue whatsoever, just all of a sudden taking a liking and an interest to the person, such that the person would eventually be mitbayesh. A person who would be humiliated, not to anyone else, but he would be humiliated to himself. of Omer, and he would say to himself, <laughs> The person not realizing that Aaron knew about it all along, the person would be insecure and embarrassed and say, oh my gosh, I can't believe Aaron's close with me. Meanwhile, Aaron doesn't know that I've done X or Y in private. Aaron didn't know that I do X or Y last night. I can't poss- And basically the approximate and the closeness to being close to Aaron would itself in a, create a certain standard and expectation which would inspire the person to be close there, That's the the Medrash, and that is quoted by, again, many Mepharshim, clearly linking this last part of the Mishnah with the first part, and it's all back to our own Hakohen. Interestingly, a number of Mepharshim are uh, sensitive to the language of this phrase, which in a way that might start off or sound very technical, but actually provides for a very far-reaching and profound teaching. And that is, why does it say, heves habrios. Why use that term brios? Why not say oh es hey, yisrael? Right? Usually we think of this as a way of saying ahavas Yisrael, loving our fellow Jew. But if it's really meant to be talking about loving our fellow Jew, so why does it use the term brios? Brios is usually a more universalistic term. Right? Kovenabrios is something that we generally think of as being a universal human idea. Avas a brios or oh, hey, brios sounds very universal. It doesn't sound like something that would necessarily be only limited to. Ahabat Yisrael. So in fact, both the Nitziv of Volozhin, as well as the Tanya, in, his, in the very well-known Perik Lamed Beis, Leiv, which is his Perik about Ahabat Yisrael, so both the Tanya and the Nitzv make the same point, that even if a person is acting outwardly, like one of the Brios, if you would just see the person based on their behavior, they're sinning, they're not following the Halacha, they're not keeping the Torah, on an outward level, they're, no, they're indistinguishable from a Gentile. They're not acting in a way that would make them clearly identifiable as a Jew because they're not following the halacha. Even so, that Abbas Yisrael applies to everyone, even people who are uh, sinners and even people whose outward behavior and appearance makes them indistinguishable from any of the other brios in the world. I'll mention just quickly in passing that the, uh, the Tanya famously points out that there are sources that say we're supposed to hate uh, the sinner. So the Tani explains it doesn't mean to hate the sinner. We fundamentally have to love every Jew, but rather we have to hate the sin in the person. We have to, with a tremendous precision, be able to say, that part of the person, that I, I reject. But the overall person, that we have to love, Ohev Esabrios, The famous student of the Baal Shem Tov, the Magid Miz Mezrich, connects this very beautifully to the Posuk in Vayikra, Lo Sisna Esachicha, vecha, which again, according to simple shot, means don't hate your fellow Jew, achicha, vecha in your heart. But the Magin message, in a classic kind of Hasidic turn of phrase, says even if the person is displaying no outward signs that he's achicha, the way he's acting, the way he's talking, the way he's behaving, that doesn't at all show the person is achicha. But rather, the only reason you know he's achicha is vecha. He has a pintalayid, he has a nitzotz, of kedusha, we believe as an axiom of matter of faith, as axiomatically, that there's some little bit of, uh, of, of Hashem, of kedusha in his heart. It's Bilvah Becha. But other than that, in terms of his outward demeanor, his behavior, his actions, he's not acting at all like a khika. Nevertheless, still, lo sisna, we don't hate him, but rather, as we just saw, avas abrios. we have to love everybody. Last but not least, just to conclude, a final point, and that is perhaps the most famous in the Mishnah, which is what is the connection between these two final phrases? What is the connection between Are those two independent things, or are they really one in the same? So some of Arshim really see them as independent. They're both important. You should love people, and you should also do Kiruv. However, others see a stronger connection. The Baal Shem Tov's grandson, the Tolos Yaakov Yosef, as well as the Chavetz Chaim point out, that part of loving a person is being Makarvan on the Torah, is worrying about the ruchnis In other words, people often think of doing chesed for people merely in terms of their physical needs, not to shortchange that. It's very, very important whatever community we find ourselves in to be giving tzedakah, to be doing acts of chesed, to be helping people who have all sorts of needs, whether they're financial or otherwise, to help a person in their physical needs is absolutely something very important. I think it's what Yisrael Stelantor used to say, another person's gashmiyus is your ruchnias. Right? Worrying about other people's physical needs is something that's not physical at all for you. It's a spiritual matter for you. That's for sure true. But says the Toldos Yaakov Yosef, says the um Torah. don't think that you've exhausted your love for the person by just worrying about if they have a few extra dollars, by just worrying about if they can pay their tuition or whatever other tzedakah you're doing for the person. Also, part of loving the person is worrying about his or her neshama. If you truly care about the person, you want, them be, you want them to be on the right track, you want them to be spiritually whole as well. And last but not least, the many, many Mefarshim already have with the Tseferis Yisrael here in the Mishnayos, the Chazolish, many, many others point out that there's an even more direct uh, connection. And that is that if you're working backwards, if the ultimate goal is to be Makarvan Latora, Torah, whether it's the cure of sense, the way we use it in the modern terms, or just teaching Torah to our children, teaching Torah to our students, anyone who are trying to inspire in a positive way, the only way it'll work is if it's if sebrios. If a person first feels like they are loved by the teacher, loved by the parent, loved by the role model, that that person genuinely cares about the person, only then will their heart and their minds be open so that you can be Makarvan lit Torah. So these are just some of the ideas, again, I think that I was able to find and I think are worth uh, analyzing in this Mishnah, a very famous and worthy Mishnah. I think it calls on all of us with the different layers that we've seen from all the different nuances in the, in the diuk and the language of the Mishnah, as well as the more basic teachings of the Mishnah, that all of us hopefully can aspire to be at all times, and especially at this time, hopefully true, if not virtual, Talmidim of Arona Kohen. Everyone should have a wonderful day, and thank you as always for joining us.